to step out of the way and let these guys have the show. It was about a year ago or so that um, we were doing family Bible study at home, and Jude had the opportunity to ask lots of questions about Jesus and what he did for us. And Jude, during that time and those questions and the several you know weeks of doing Bible study, he, uh, he made a decision that he wanted to follow Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And so today is an exciting day for us. And we do baptism for, for two big reasons. One is it's a, a commandment. And so in the same way that Jesus was baptized, we follow that example. And the other reason is that it's a symbol, like David said, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so Jude... Because of your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I'm going to baptize you today. Okay? Okay. And uh, I do that today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He had to savor that moment for a minute, Dad. Don't rush him. I'm trying to figure out what all that means. Man, that is, that is awesome. What an incredible thing to, to get to be a part of, right? To, to get to share. I was talking with some of the families that are coming in this morning. To, to get to share in that moment with uh, a brother or a son or a grandson or a nephew. Um, man, such, such a great thing. And we're excited to, to get to be a part of that this morning. So congratulations to Jude and family. He can probably hear me in the back. Um, I, I'm excited about today. Oh, put the screen back down. Thank you, Ben. See, that's why I got so much good help around here because I can't remember everything on my own. We y'all already knew that, right? Y'all can say yes. It's okay. There's new people in the room. It's all right. Y'all can pick on me. I'm good with it. So I'm excited about today. We got a, a lot of good stuff that the Lord has for us, um, and this is such a good introduction into the passage that we're going to have today. When David texted me this week and asked me if it would be okay to baptize you today, I, was, I just really got excited because I knew the Lord had something special for us. So um, today, as we are uh, moving into uh, this last passage in Hebrews chapter 9, um, I'm excited that the Lord has brought this idea of of salvation and baptism and eternal life into our focus right from the beginning today. Over these last few months, we've been focused on uh, the role that Jesus plays in all of our lives. Um, David mentioned this morning we've been studying the book of Hebrews and kind of the, the tagline behind that is that it's a story worth sharing. The author of the book of Hebrews is writing a letter to the churches that are being persecuted. They're have, these, these are fairly new believers who have decided to trust in Jesus for their salvation and not trusting in the law anymore. And they're getting a lot of ridicule from their family and friends. And so they are in need of encouragement. And so the author writes this letter today. And the last few weeks, we've been focusing specifically on Jesus as the perfect high priest. Uh, and then also about Jesus's sacrifice on the cross being the final sacrifice that was needed. Last week, specifically, we talked about um, the, the fact that Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. First, we learned that Jesus' sacrifice has no limit. 
and it's the highest possible value. And then second, we learned that his sacrifice never needs to be repeated and it is permanent in its effect upon people. So because of what Jesus has done, the sacrifice that he has made on all of our, behalf, on all of our behalves, days like today are possible. Without Jesus doing what he did, we wouldn't be able to celebrate what we're celebrating today. Days when we can celebrate the beauty of what God has done, not just for Jude, but for all of us. That he gave his own life so that we could enter into a relationship with him. And in response, as David said a while ago, we follow Jesus' example and his command after we've given our life to him to be baptized in front of our brothers and sisters in Christ and our family as a marker for the beginning of God doing something new in a person's life and what he's going to do in their life as they continue to grow. So the main focus last week and the last several weeks has been on the Old Covenant and how that has now been completed. It was finalized upon Jesus' death on the cross, and now we live under the New Covenant. So Jesus gives himself as a sacrifice. He fulfills the Old Covenant requirement, not just for himself, but for all of us. And that's the beauty of what we're going to talk about today. Jesus took the punishment that we deserved upon himself so that the broken relationship or the relationship that was broken by sin in the garden at the very beginning, it was another step in making that relationship between God and his people restored. Today, we celebrated Jude's decision to accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers to every person. So salvation and baptism are the first steps that all of us have to take in our relationship with God. If we want to live in right standing before God, salvation is the first step, and then we walk in obedience to be baptized as well. Salvation is the decision that we all need to make to trust Jesus for our forgiveness and our acceptance by God based on what Jesus has done, not on what we've done. And I want to make a special emphasis on that this morning because culturally there seems to be a lot of focus on us making ourselves better so that we can then go to God. But what the gospel teaches is that Jesus has already made us better, that when God looks at us, he sees the blood of Christ, and he accepts us based on what Jesus has done, not on what we have or can or should or used to do. Okay, so baptism today, uh, I appreciate David saying that, is simply a public announcement of a decision that a person has made. But salvation is not the end of the story. It's the beginning. I was thinking about this this week and kind of preparing um, for so long, the church has made such an emphasis on salvation and baptism that often that's where the conversation starts. And what I love about our passage today is that the author of Hebrews is going to take us beyond that. And we're going to look at what comes after baptism and salvation. In the beginning of our relationship, all of us want to know more about the person, right? Think about your, your dating life, maybe before you got married, if you are married, or, or friendships. All of that begins based on getting to know one, one another better. And so salvation is the beginning, and so there's a lot that, has to, or that needs to happen and that will happen after the fact. As we grow in our experiences with God, we're going to learn what it means to walk in obedience. We're going to get to know Him. We're going to get to really understand what it means to be human because He created us in His image to be in a relationship with Him. And so as we walk with Him, He reveals Himself to us, and we get to know what it means to really be alive to experience the freedom. I appreciate David's testimony this morning of, of how he was really frustrated. And I find it ironic. We talked about in life group a couple of weeks ago about holy anger, about how Jesus got angry. And we're going we're gonna to see this passage today. The Lord brought it out in our message for today where Jesus clears the temple. And the author of the book that we're all reading together in our life group makes the point to show out, to show that Jesus, it says in scripture, that he made a whip and then he went into the temple 
and cleared it, right? And if you've ever made a whip before, you, you understand that that is, and yes, I have. Um, <laughs> not for my kids, though. That's a, that was a different kind of whip. Anyway, um, it takes a long time, right? And so it's not like Jesus was a, walked into the temple and had a knee-jerk reaction to what was going on. He had a holy anger. There was something happening in the temple, and we'll address that in a minute, that wasn't, wasn't designed for that. And I appreciate David sharing this morning that he experienced some anger, but the Holy Spirit was able to talk to him, to speak to him and say, David, I can understand how you feel, but that wasn't the main point of what you were trying to accomplish today. So I appreciate David's testimony this, this morning about that. And, and that's what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about experiencing God and learning about who he is, it's that kind of thing. Where the Holy Spirit is working in our lives as we're going through our normal day-to-day stuff. David was just doing his job. And in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit spoke and revealed something more about his character and some areas where David needs to be aligned. But the beauty of that is that it's not David's responsibility. It's the Holy Spirit working in him that's going to do that. So today, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 through 28. And, and salvation is the first step. So don't misunderstand that. That has to happen. But we're going to talk about today what happens after salvation. The author of Hebrews is going to speak of the promise of what is to come through the new covenant. The new covenant is what we live under now, but the new covenant is, is still happening. And there's something that's going to happen towards the end of that that's really exciting. So look at me with Hebrews chapter 9, verses 23 20 through 28. It says, therefore, and that's talking about everything we talked about last week. It was necessary... For the copies of the things in the heavens to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves to be purified with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for the people to die once after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So today I want to focus on two main points in this passage. And the first one being that Jesus uh, is entering the true temple, which is in heaven. And then the second thing is that he will return to completely remove sin from the earth. And that's really exciting. We'll get to that in a minute. So the first point today, Jesus lives in a heavenly temple. The author has made many references, and we've talked a lot about this over the last few weeks, about the temple and its role in the life of the Jewish people. It is important for us to understand that that this, this temple that they're referring to was significant for the people because when they, under the old covenant, under the law, the only way to be right before God was to go into the temple, for the priest to go into the temple and make sacrifices on behalf of God's people. It played a role in God's redemptive work. The earthly temple, though, was just a copy or a representation of what the true temple is like, which we call heaven where God actually is. I, I was thinking about this this morning. I couldn't find a picture of one. I, I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but for a long time, there were a couple of companies that made these fiberglass body kits that you could buy and put on a Volkswagen Beetle to make it look like a Lamborghini. Have y'all ever seen one of those? Okay, if you see one driving down the road and you look at it, you're like, I think that's a Lamborghini, but it looks kind of weird, right? It's a representation. It's not, a, it's got a, 
I don't know if it's a three-cylinder, four-cylinder engine in a, in a Volkswagen Beetle, but it's certainly not a Lamborghini engine, right? That's kind of the image that I got this morning thinking about the earthly temple and the temple that's in heaven. All of the elements that are in that temple, all of the rituals, all the things that had to happen were simply a representation. It was a copy that God was using in the lives of Israel to help prepare their hearts and the minds of the people to understand what it was going to be like when we stand before God in the actual temple, which is in heaven. So God had Israel build this temple to help them understand His holiness and to point them to a better future. It's clear, though, that this point had been missed by the priest. Rather than the focus of the temple being on God and His holiness, they made the temple and its rituals a God in themselves, God little g. They made the rituals, they made the place more important than God Himself. We see this through the message in this section that the author Hebrews is trying to help the people understand the role that the temple had once played in Israel's life was no longer needed. Because of what Jesus done, the temple was no longer necessary. The temple was no longer needed because its usefulness was gone. It was over. Look at Hebrews chapter, 23, or chapter 9, verse 23 and 24 again to, to help us see this point. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in heaven to be purified with these sacrifices. He's talking about the earthly temple and the animal sacrifice that happened. He says, but the heavenly things themselves to be purified with better sacrifices than these. He's talking about Jesus. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. The author showing them at one time the sacrifices were necessary. They were needed in order to purify the copy that was on earth. But now the actual heavenly temple has been purified by the sacrifice of Jesus. We also can see that misunderstanding in that passage I referred to earlier from John chapter 2 where Jesus enters the temple. Look at this with me because we, I need us to see and understand the level of misunderstanding that the Jewish people had about the purpose of sacrifices in the temple. And, and you guys, this is something that we're all familiar with. Y'all, y'all have heard the analogy of boiling a frog alive. You put him in the water when it's, the water's cold and you slowly heat the water up and pretty soon he's dead, right? Have y'all heard that before? No? Am I the only one? Okay, a few people have heard that. Here's the point is often we kind of just are going through the motions and we don't realize it, but the things that are really important, we've forgotten their importance. And that's what's happening in the lives of the Jewish people. And then Jesus enters the temple. And, and just for reference, this is right after he and the disciples leave the wedding in Canaan. And he's just performed his first miracles. And the disciples are, fi- are just first getting this glimpse of who Jesus is. He's at, remember, he's at the, at the wedding and his mother comes to him and says, um, they've run out of wine, do something. And Jesus responds, and I think it's funny, we won't get into that today, but he turns water into wine. And so the disciples are in that headspace, and then this happens. Look at verse 13 through 21. It says, the Jewish Passover was near, so Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling oxen, sheep, and doves, and he also found the money changers sitting there. After making a whip out of cords, he drove everyone out of the temple with their sheep and oxen. He also poured out the money changers' coins and overturned the tables. He told those who were selling doves, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews replied to him, what sign will you show us for doing these things? 
And Jesus answered, destroy this temple and I will raise it up in three days. Therefore, the Jews said, this temple took 46 years to build and you will raise it up in three days. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. I love the imagery of this story. That Jesus goes into the temple and everything that's happening, all the action that's there is completely wrong. If you think about what a sacrifice is, that's not what they were doing. The priest and the, and the vendors there had turned the temple into a profit center. People were coming from all over that, that region to celebrate the Passover. It was a huge deal. And we'll talk about what that is in a little bit if you're unfamiliar with it. But rather than bringing the sacrifice with them from wherever they traveled, they took the easy route and just bought one from the vendors that are there which points us back to something that we mentioned briefly last week about the offerings of Cain and Abel how God accepted one but not the other and it what we've kind of boiled that down to is it's a heart issue right that when we make sacrifices and offerings to give to God that if our heart is not in it then it doesn't mean anything and that's what's so driven Jesus to anger to the point that he drives these people out and these animals out of his temple it's because the thing that was supposed to bring them closer to God, they've taken that meaning out of it. And rather than actually making a sacrifice, choosing the choice animals from their own flocks as what is directed by God, they went to the market and were like, that double do. Right? You see, the, you see the, the problem there? And so Jesus drives them out. God's desire was for Israel to be brought back to himself. So he gave them this system of rules and regulations and laws and sacrifice to reveal their sin and to help them make atonement for that. In church, the law has the same effect on, on us today. It's the reason that it's around. It's for us to realize our need for a Savior. When a person gives their life to Christ, the first thing that must happen is they must see their own sin. They have to realize for themselves that they are not God, that they are not the most important person in the room. That there's something bigger, something greater, something better than they are. And it's only then that our hearts are open to Christ. I read somewhere this week, I wish I could remember where it was, but it said there were two kinds of people. The righteous who know that they are sinners and the sinners who believe they are righteous. And church, all of us find ourselves in that place at some point in our lives. Either a sinner believing that we are righteous or we've actually seen our own sin and Jesus is making us righteous, but we still see the sin in our life. The purpose of the law was to reveal to people that no matter how hard they tried, they could not be like God. We need to understand that. That needs to inform the way we approach God. Because that, that idea that is in our minds today that if we could just do a little better, God would accept us. If we, if we do more good things than bad things, then when we die and we get to heaven, Jesus will say, well done. That's not how it works. That system has been done away with. Jesus has already done all that needs to be done on your behalf. And all that you need to do is accept it. In this passage from John, Jesus is alluding to the what the future holds for himself and for God's people. The copy of the heavenly temple would be destroyed and the heavenly temple would be revealed, which is Jesus himself. His death on the cross would open the doors to the heavenly temple for all people. That would be available for everyone. And the earthly temple 
would be closed because it would be no longer needed. Jesus was raised to life and now resides in heaven at the right hand of the Father, advocating on our behalf every moment of every day. He's entered the real temple and he's made it possible for us to join him there when we die. So this brings us to our second point that the author is making in this section. Second point is that Jesus will one day return to the earth, not to die again, but to completely remove all sin from the world. And church, this is not something that was talked about a whole lot when I was growing up in church. But this, to me, brings so much hope to what it means to be a believer. We all struggle with sin because it still exists on earth. In fact, we spent all of last year going through the book of Ecclesiastes talking about what it looks like to be or to be in a broken world, to experience God's love in a broken world. All of the things that happen around us are a result of sin. Because the world is sinful, God gave the law to reveal that sin, to show that we needed Him. And then Jesus came to earth, He lived a perfect life, He died, and He rose again as the Savior, as the sacrifice that we all needed. Both of those actions are part of the total redemptive process. So God gave the old covenant to prepare people to reveal himself to them. And then he sent Jesus who came and he lived and he died and he rose again. And now we're in the new covenant, but it's not over yet. The forgiveness and grace of Jesus, if we accept those things, bring us into right relationship with God. And sin has been conquered, but it has not yet been destroyed. And we know that because we experience sin Everywhere we look. And you and I are well acquainted with that. It doesn't matter how hard we try. And we do because our hearts want to be like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is moving us in that direction. But as hard as we try, sometimes we fail. Paul talked about this in a passage that we're all familiar with. Look at me, with me at Romans chapter 7 verses 14 through 25. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave under sin. For I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but what I hate. Now if I, do what I, now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that is good. So now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I don't want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one who does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin, In the parts of my body. What a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind I myself am serving the law of God. But with my flesh the law of sin. Paul was well acquainted with his sin. And he identifies something that all of us struggle with. That we want to do well. Whether you have a relationship with Jesus or not. Your goal in life more than likely. Is to be a good person. 
And Paul, who knew what it was to think that he was righteous, but to actually be a sinner who persecuted and, and approved of the killing of believers, was well acquainted with his own sin. And he identified what we understand is that even though we are trying to be good people, at the end of the day, we still struggle with our sin. There's this constant battle between our spiritual selves and our flesh. And even though that battle has been won in the future, we're still in the midst of the war right now. And we know that we win the war eventually, that Jesus does on our behalf. But we're still in the middle of it right now. And it's difficult, and that is why the world is broken. Like Paul, we want to be like Christ in every way, but we find ourselves constantly falling short. And it's not because of a lack of desire, but because there is still sin in the world. And we can do and experience victory over that sin. But the point that I want to make today is that there's still the struggle with sin. We will win, but the struggle is still here today. Look at what Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 8. This is verses 1 through 11. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering, in order that the law's requirements would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The midst of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his Spirit who lives in you. Church, we are given new life through Jesus' work, not our own. We can try as hard as we want to be good, to be a good person, but we will fail every time. But Jesus can complete that work through us. That's why we say in baptism that we die to ourselves and are raised to life in Christ. It's because the flesh, the sin part of us that before our salvation had control of us, both spiritually and physically, dies because of what Jesus has done. And we are raised to life in the Spirit. The hope that we have is that one day the war will be over. No longer will we struggle, have the struggle between flesh and the Spirit. The final step in the redemptive process of God bringing Himself fully back with His people is for Jesus to return to earth and completely and irrevocably remove sin from the world. Look at what author of Hebrews says in verse 27 and 28. He said, And just as it is appointed for people to die once, after this judgment, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many people, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him.
The author is showing us that this final step, that one day God will finally bring himself and his people back together to live in that relationship that he created for all of us back in the garden before sin entered the picture. That when Jesus returns on earth, the earth will be as it was meant to be. Look at Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 4 with me real quick. Let's get a glimpse of what that looks like. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Look at this, verse 3 and verse 4. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people's. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. Man, what hope that is. That all of the suffering that we experience here on earth, one day will be gone. Not because everybody got on board and moved in the same direction. But because Jesus completes the works, the work that he started. I love that we sang this morning, all his promises are yes and amen. He will do what he says he's going to do. No longer will there be this war between God's holiness and sin. No longer will there be suffering on earth. All the things will be made like new as they were meant to be in the beginning. That's what we're longing for. That's what the world is longing for. The world is trying so hard to accomplish what Scripture describes will happen when Jesus, when Jesus comes. Peace on earth, where there's no natural disasters, where there's no war, there's no famine. All of that will be corrected when Jesus returns. Jesus' work on the cross was to save us from the penalty of sin, and His return will save us from the consequences of sin on earth. There is great hope in trusting in Jesus. Jesus is in the heavenly temple right now, sitting next to God, looking at each and every one of us and going, God, look at them. I love them. Just like they are. Just like they are. He's promised that one day he's going to return and the earth will be made right again. And no longer will we have to experience the brokenness of a sinful world. But we will live in a perfect world as God intended it to be. Not because we did anything good. Not because we worked hard but because God did what he said he would do. It's my hope and my prayer today that through the testimonies that you've heard this morning from our people and through the word and through baptism, that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. That he's drawing him to yourself. It's my prayer that those of you who know Christ will love him more as you come to understand more fully just how much he's done for you. And it's my prayer that those who do not know Christ would be drawn to him today. As we did last week, we're going to celebrate all that God's done for us through Jesus' death and resurrection by, by sharing in the Lord's Supper together. Um, David and Julie and, and Jude, if you would like, come sit right up here real quick, and I'm going I'm to address you directly in just a minute. I do want to share with the congregation last week, um, and I appreciate her doing this. Bethany shared that in our church, we've chosen to allow children to participate in the Lord's Supper. But the expectation is, is that you will use that as a teachable moment with your children to talk about what the Lord's done for them, to have a conversation about salvation and what it's about, okay? I appreciate her doing that, and I don't want to echo that again this morning. Um, but this, this morning, is a special time 
for me, but more for Jude. I love getting to share the Lord's Supper with somebody that's just been baptized. Because um, this will be your first opportunity to have the Lord's Supper as a believer. So I'm going to ask you a question real quick. And don't embarrass your dad by your answer. But do you guys, do you ever pray before you eat? Good answer. Okay. His mouth doesn't work today, but his neck's doing pretty good. All right. Jesus did a thing with his disciples right before he went to die for you and for me. They were having a meal together. Do you like to eat? Yeah. Are you ready for lunch? Your sister says you are. Okay. He's always ready to eat. That's my boy. <laughs> so Jesus is sitting with, his, with all his friends, and they're having a meal together. And while they're eating that meal, Jesus, and they're celebrating something really significant. They're celebrating Passover. Do you remember what Passover is? You don't have to say it out loud. But Passover is when God was delivering his people from Egypt. There were all these plagues and stuff that were happening to the Egyptian people because Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. And the last plague was going to be that, that God was going to kill all the firstborn males in all the households. And he told the Israelites, if you will put the blood of a lamb on your door, outside your house, death would pass over. Right? And so after that happened, Pharaoh finally relented and he let God's people go. And so they celebrated this meal to remember that God had saved Israel's people. Right? And so Jesus is gathered together. This was something they did every year. It was like celebrating a birthday. You don't miss any. So they're gathered together. They're having this meal. And Jesus does something pretty cool. And Mike and Debbie, would y'all come up with me real quick? Go ahead and grab the elements for us. He, he took a piece of bread that was on the table. All right? And he broke it. And he said something strange. He said, this is my body broken for you. Okay? And yeah, that's what the disciples said too. They're like, what is this guy talking about? Okay? And he's pointing them to something. He's telling them about what's about to happen. And I don't think they fully realized what was about to happen yet. And then he did something that was even weirder. He took the cup that had some juice in it. And he said, this is my blood poured out for you. Oh right? That's a strange way to have a conversation. Right? But here's what he wanted them to do, Jude. Is he knew that after he died on the cross, that they would remember that moment. And every time they eat a piece of bread, or they drank some juice, that they would remember this moment, this meal, where Jesus was telling them that all of the struggles that they've always had were about to get better because when he left, the Holy Spirit was going to come live inside of them. And that's what you have in you today because you've given your life to Christ. And so today, I want you to be served first, okay? It's been fun being first. Mr. Debbie and Ms. Mike, Mr. Mike are going to give you the cup and the bread, and just hold it, and we'll all eat it together in a minute. But every time you eat from now on, whether it's in here or at home, this can be a reminder for you of what Jesus has done for you, okay? All right, if y'all would serve their family. And then if you guys would come down the middle aisle, and you can receive the elements and go have a seat, and then I'll talk about it briefly, and we'll, we'll share those together. Okay, so y'all go ahead and come on up, and Mike and Debbie will be right here, and they'll hand you the elements.
The Apostle Mark recounts that evening in this way. This is from Mark chapter 14. He says, as they were eating, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. It says, and then he took the cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for you and for many. Let's pray. Jesus, we are eternally in your debt and grateful for what you have done for all of us. Father, as we move through this week, I ask that we would be reminded regularly of the sacrifice that you made for us and for the love that you have, not only for us, but for all people. Father, we ask for opportunities this week to share the story that's worth sharing, to share your story of what you have done not just this week, not just in the last couple of years, but throughout history to move your people back to you, to restore the relationship that sin broke. Father, as we wage war this week with the sin around us, Father, I ask that your spirit would be, would be uh, right in our minds, Father, that we would battle not in our own power, but with you, that we would move as you move us and not without you. Father, we, again, we say thank you and we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.